0: Uh, it broke up uh, how are you I uh, actually I'm doing really good today <laughs> uh, this, you, this staying in from this, this uh, you know quarantine stuff yeah. is just having me insane
1: No, that's a question I've got actually now you're in Texas you do have uh, uh, how many acres do you have attached to your house
0: attached to my house i have three can you um, go in
1: those can you use those
0: oh yeah 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 and then beside me i have 150 acres okay. that i lease. and then five miles down the road i have 900 acres that i lease okay. for hunting and for my bigfoot research and stuff like that so i have plenty of land but uh, what I mean by it's driving me nuts is the fact, like uh, me and the wife can't do our normal things that she and I do—go out to eat, yeah. take in a movie, or uh, just enjoy a, a night out or something like that. And um, my business, of course, is suffering greatly uh, with this because with no one working and no one out, no one has money to buy knives, and so it's. When I when you make custom, I'm a blacksmith and do uh, knife smithing, make custom knives, and you just don't get any, don't get any calls, don't get any sales. Whenever it's no, like, this. I mean,
1: so. I understand that. Of course, now I've appreciated your knives for quite a while. Um, now, for a long time, actually, I thought you were an importer of knives, and then I, suddenly I realized that you make them. And um, everything me, I do is hand. But well, that to me is—it's kind of—it's uh, like you're pulling rabbits out of hats, in my mind. That's my my opinion of that kind of thing. I have no concept of making something like that. Wow.
0: What I'm working on right now for wow. a fellow Bigfoot researcher, Paul Ragsdale, uh, working on that. and going to use uh, this is uh, ibex,
1: uh-huh.
0: and it's going to—I'm going to put ibex horn for the handles and everything I do, except for the handle materials is reclaimed materials. Okay. I recycle all, all blades, uh, leaf springs out from under vehicles, uh-huh. um, files. Uh, this, this one right here started its life as a farrier's wrasse. Wow. Um, I don't know if you have farriers in the UK, uh, Not um, so
1: much but anymore.
0: No. But, um, get old farriers rests and uh, they're very good hardenable steel so I take those and turn them into uh, knives
1: <laughs> look it's it's a huge talent you've got nothing but my admiration for it really anybody that can make anything with their hands in my mind is always it's something that I respect it's just because being a city boy this whole time my whole life you know everything uh, those types of pursuits, uh, they're just unknown to me. It's not something I've ever really ever had to do. My outdoors experience, for example, is it started with camping and things like that in Wales and moved out to my own personal expeditions. But I don't generally have to go and, you know, catch my own food out there in the wilds of the UK. I don't generally have to go out and, um, and kill anything. I just pack a bit of camp gear and and some supplies and head out. I don't have to worry that a bear is going to come and sneak around in my camp or a cougar. Well, maybe I do have to worry about a cougar or a panther here these days, but generally, no, it's a different world. So you're like there in Texas, you know, I do keep an eye on what you're doing and I'd just like to to know and and to tell everybody that's listening to this for you to explain what it is you do, how um you came to it and and what your landscape is like a few people in, in the uk don't really understand that the the huge scale of texas you know if you're leasing out 900 acres here and 90 acres there three acres you know for me that's my entire neighborhood plus um
0: just here i'll put it like this um as far as uh Acreage or uh, kilometers, square miles, whatever you want to want to call it, um, Texas is basically the the size of the entirety of Europe. Wow. <laughs> um, ger- I mean, the county that I live in is uh, big as France. Wow. Just just the one county that I live in. Um, I have uh, around ten million acres of uh, national forest just within driving distance of my house wow. and that national forest is open to anyone.
1: And what kind of animals would you find <laughs> in that forest? What are the native species?
0: Oh my goodness we have um, bobcats, coyotes, uh, white-tailed deer, uh, fox, red fox, gray fox. We have uh, some red wolves. We have, and which red wolves supposed to be extinct, but I've actually caught uh, red wolves on camera. Uh, okay. My trail Um Then, of course, we have all kinds of beavers, otters, uh, nutrias. Oh, my goodness, uh, what feral hogs, uh, lots of wild boar. Uh, We have, um, like, tens of millions of wild boar here in Texas. Oh, my gosh. There's just such a plethora of wildlife here. uh, Squirrels, red squirrels, gray squirrels, uh, fox squirrels, uh, flying squirrels. uh, My goodness. uh, Do you
1: have skunks
0: and porcupines? Yes. No, no porcupines here where I'm at. There are some porcupines in western parts uh, of Texas and southern, the far southern uh, parts. I put it like this, where I'm at, people get the misconception of, that Texas is a desert. Yeah. yeah. But Texas is not a desert te- where oh. I'm at. We are rivers and lakes and huge pine forests and hardwood forest oaks. Um, <clears throat> just millions upon millions of acres of trees and fields, green grass, just, so, just you know, it's amazing.
1: What is it, what is your county? Now, my wife, she, she spent six years of her life when she was a child in Arlington, Texas. Um, and I, I see there's a lot of, I mean, just looking at the map of Texas, there's so many huge, gigantic lakes, actually. Um, here and National Forest, is it Wichita or is that in the next state? Um, is that Arkansas, sorry. Um, what are the National Forests there in, in, in Texas?
0: Um, we have the Davy Crockett National Forest, the yeah. Daniel Boone, the uh, uh, Sam Houston National Forest. Oh, my gosh. We have, oh, there, there's just so many.
1: Yeah, but so many lakes want- I can see here too, Jeff. Uh, Louisville Lake, Lavon Lake. I mean, they're just, and they look huge. I mean, absolutely huge.
0: Toledo Bend Reservoir is a huge lake that's just a few minutes down the road from me. Wow. Uh, Sam Rayburn uh, Lake is another really big lake. It's just right down the, uh, you know, within 30 minutes uh trip by by car um the sabine river is where i grew up which is about 10 minutes from my house and i own land and have a, a fishing camp and things on that river uh, wow. yeah there's just it's just amazing and see where i'm at too i'm only uh two and a half hours drive from the gulf of mexico from the coast wow. so yeah Yes, it's awesome. And I'm also only about two and a half, three hours from the Ouachita Mountains in Arkansas. Wow. So oh,
1: yeah.
0: I really, I'm in, a, I'm in a really great location geographically. That,
1: that to me, it's, it's just something that people here don't appreciate so much the sheer scale of the country and, and what's available in it. I mean, especially now during this lockdown. You know, and living on the outskirts of London in in Surrey, that's the the county that we're in. But we're literally, I'm hundred yards over the border from London. We're in the Surrey border just about, so we can go into the countryside, or we can just go straight back into London. It's it's that close. And it's small. Um, we're in a place like that, it's really amazing. And I think your background, as I know it, you know, being you know, you had a uh, was it law enforcement and military, or just military background that you had.
0: I was, uh, I was in the United States Navy. I Uh, actually, I did not see any kind of combat or anything like that. I received a medical discharge, I shattered my leg, um, and, and got a medical discharge. So I, I I didn't like do any, didn't do any hero stuff. I didn't do anything like that. I I signed up, I swore in, I was in, and then I broke my leg and got a medical discharge. So, uh, but I was, uh, in law enforcement. I was a uh, sheriff's deputy for two years. Okay. Um, before I decided I couldn't make any money uh, being a sheriff's deputy, and then uh, went back and got uh, my electrical electronics degree from uh-huh. the University of Colorado, and uh, went to work in the mining coal mining industry uh, as an electronics uh, specialist uh-huh. and. Worked there for the next 13 and a half, 14 years. Uh, But while doing that, I also uh, went, I kept going to school. I have a degree in theology. I have uh, a degree in water. Well, it's not a degree. I have a certificate in veterinary, being a veterinary technician. Uh Basically, like an EMT or, or emergency medical technician for animals. And uh, just basically anything I, could st- I can study about uh, wildlife, I studied my entire
1: life. So this, first of knowledge I think we met first on the Nightcaller's Bigfoot radio show, didn't we? Yes. About two years ago, and um, this guy comes on. He's just rescued an owl. He's one of the oh. interviewers on the show, and I'm thinking, who's this guy that's rescued an owl? And then I saw another picture of you with a cougar. Um, that you were giving a bath to. <laughs> and one of the things I wanted to talk to you about is something that's actually strangely absent from a lot of cryptozoology and cryptid hunting, is that I notice with a lot of people that they don't also just love regular wildlife. They don't love animals. Well, they don't love them, but they're not as in love with just regular animals
0: as they are with these
1: possible cryptids. And it seems to me something that would be necessary to the love of hunting for prospective, you know, uh, for uh, unknown animals, the prospective zoology, hidden animals. This is that because you love animals and you'd like to find new ones, right? Like you exactly. and it, your love for Bigfoot should be no different uh, than your love for the cougar or the owl you rescued or the dogs in the house, because it's all more life. Now I know Dr. Carl Schuker. I know he's got yes. a similar love for all animals. He's a zoologist as well. Um, and what is it about that? What is it about your love for animals that translates into your search for cryptids? Well, where's,
0: where's the crossover? Well, what do you hope to achieve? You know, my love for cryptids came about from my own personal sighting, my own personal interaction with a creature. That, you know, when I was a kid, there, there was no shows on TV except for uh, the old Leonard Nimoy show In Search Of that even talked about any kind of strange animals. Yeah. So everything was... Everything was was regular animals. You know, Mutual of Omaha's Wild Kingdom was a show that came on up here in the States. I don't know if, if uh, it ever came on uh, abroad, but uh, a gentleman named Carl Perkin was... Uh, Oh, gosh, I think his name was his last name was Perkins. Anyway, excuse me if I forget his first name, but it it just instilled in me a love. They would go out. This is back in the 70s. They would go out and and go and and look for polar bears and they would go and look for moose or different animals that, of course, being here in Texas, I I didn't have. So I would watch that and, and it just gave me a love for animals. And I grew up in my family. We are we are hunters. We hunt. We eat what we hunt. Uh, about eighty percent of the food that my family uh, eats comes from I either hunt it, grow it, or catch it. Um, that's just the way we are. That's and it's not doesn't mean that I hate animals because I hunt animals. I'm the I'm the guy that might hunt a white-tailed deer, but at the same time, coming home from hunting, if I saw one with a broken leg. I would be stopped on the side of the road catching it to put it in my truck to bring it home to fix its leg because there's a difference between harvesting an animal to go on your table and enjoying a hunt than being heartless. Mm -hmm. You know, anyone that is a true hunter would never want to see an animal suffer ever, Mm -hmm. and they know the difference between uh, conservation and just. Being a total jerk and and killing something just to kill it. You know, it's it's, that's something we would never do. But, you know, I grew up loving animals and I lived when I was a little kid. Our closest neighbor was many, many miles away. There were no children to play with. We lived on a big farm and I had my dogs. I had cats and I had a pet fox growing up. I had a pet raccoon uh, growing up. The animals were my pets, and I spent all of my hours in the woods, and I-, I learned how to trap and build, you know, snares and things like that in the woods and catch things. <clears throat> also learned, you know, found baby birds that were knocked out of nests, and I would get them and bring them in and raise them until they could fly and then let them go. Um, got in trouble many times for raising mice, <laughs> you know, my mother into my bedroom and- I would have a, a box with with a bunch of little mice in it I had found and I was raking them up. It's so like, oh my gosh, you know, get those out of my house. But you know, I just everything about me growing up and what we did instilled a love for the outdoors mm-hmm. and for animals. And that transferred when I got older and had my experience with uh seeing my first bigfoot creature and i had to know that curiosity in me was okay you know i was 15 years old at the time and i'd been in the woods for those entire 15 years never had i seen anything like this never had i heard anything so when people say oh i've been in the woods my whole life and i've never Mm -hmm. seen one so had i until i did you know, I, I those same woods that I've had my first encounter, I had been hunting with my father since I was old enough for him to, to carry me.
1: Well, I mean, I know about this sighting and that this is a, a fascinating sighting that really um, that really thrilled me about Texas. Actually, just take us through that sighting you had when you were 15, because I think descriptively, you know, it doesn't seem to be. run-of-the-mill regular sighting they had either that or the details that you're giving because of your wildlife experience are more uh, a little clearer than one would normally have surprised in the woods by something they've never seen before so just just take us through that
0: my very first uh experience was i was 15 it was about 1986 somewhere in there I had taken a couple of friends camping down on land that we have leased on the Sabine River. (coughs) We had been fishing all day. We had caught uh, a lot of fish, and we came back. And we had one of those old hand pump wells Mm
1: -hmm. uh,
0: to get our water from there at our camp. And we cleaned our fish at that well, and we would leave the entrails, the guts, if you will, on the ground and later we would come back with a flashlight. And if there were raccoons or anything eating those goods, then I would summarily shoot them because I sold their hides to make money as a teenager. That's how I made a lot of my money was um, back then a raccoon hide was worth $25. Mm -hmm. So, you know, as a kid that grew up very, very poor, very, very poor, uh, a $25 raccoon, you couldn't pass that up, you know, because I didn't have money to go out and do things. With my friends, my parents didn't have extra money to give me, so uh-huh. I had to earn it. And so we went back, we cooked our meal, we ate, we were sitting around our campfire. And I told my friends, I said, hey, let's go see if there's anything eating on the guts. And they didn't want to go. They were like, you know, we're our bellies are full. We're by this fire. I mean, you go do your thing. So I got my uh, 22 caliber rifle and my flashlight. Nobody remembers back in the mid '80s what the flashlights were like. They weren't these uh, really high lumen, 800 lumen, thousand lumen lights. You had a flashlight or torch, I think is is how you yeah. call it there. The torch, day. yeah, uh, that took uh, three small c-cell batteries and had a yellow bulb you know that you might can see 20 (laughs) feet with they they weren't uh, couldn't afford you couldn't afford the expensive lights back in those days yeah so i had a flashlight like that and i walked about 100 meters back to that well and as i got close about within about 20 meters or so of it i saw something big hulking something kind of over the gut pile eating well i immediately thought that it was either a couple of raccoons or a feral hog a wild hog boar, uh eating the uh, entrails so i raised my rifle with my light and i inched my way forward well it saw me and it stood up on two legs wow. now we do not have bears here in east texas um we have the occasional bear but seeing a bear here in east texas is almost a as rare as seeing a big mm-hmm. So bear was not in my mind. This thing stood up on two legs. I thought it was a human being. I thought it was somebody playing a joke on me. Because we have one road that leads into this property and mm-hmm. one road to lead that leads out. That's it. We were behind three locked gates. So no one had come in and we were miles back down in here. The only other way was if someone had came up the river by mm-hmm. boat And we heard no boat and somebody would have had to have paddled for 10 miles up that river to get to us from the nearest uh, habitation. So I spoke to it. I said, mister, I don't know who you are, but this ain't funny. And I'm scared. I will shoot you. It just looked at me. I've got the light shining right in its face. And I said, mister, I don't know who you are, but I'm going to kill you. Never made an expression. This is not some 10-foot, 12-foot tall hulking beast that that you hear a tale about. I've never encountered that with Bigfoot. What I've encountered is very large on the human scale of size, but Hmm. very human in between six foot and six foot five inches tall okay. probably in the neighborhood of 240 pounds well, 250 um, lean I'm very I'm a, I'm a very big guy and at that time uh, very I was a football player American football I, I'm six foot tall and I, I at the time I weighed about 200 pounds myself okay. so this thing was not that much bigger than I was huh. but Looking at its face, if you've ever seen any of the old footage from back in the early 1900s of an Australian aboriginal, yeah, the yeah. very early, uh, some of the photographs of them very early, very broad nose, very dark mahogany skin. Like um, your... very, lips, yeah, very prominent lips, uh, uh, higher forehead, but not that comical head that you hear about um the the fur was not thick now this is texas and it's summertime it's 110 degrees during the day if anybody tells you that they have seen a bigfoot in texas in july with long thick fur wouldn't believe them because no animals in texas has long thick fur in the summertime they would die from heat um you know because we're talking it gets up to the triple digits on a daily basis in June, July, and August here wow. in Texas. Um, humidity is in the eighty to ninety percent every single day. So this this fur was sparse, but it, you could tell it had been wallowing in the mud mm-hmm. because the fur hung with mud clumped in it, kind of like what you would see, like dreadlocks or like any animal with longer hair. If they have been in the mud, the mud kind of makes that hair clump together.
1: Yeah, kind of matted.
0: <laughs> um, yeah, kind of matted look. And I spoke to it the third time and I said, this is not funny. And it took three steps backwards. I'll never forget. It took three steps backwards. Toe to heel. Now, there's no other animal besides a human being that can take steps backwards, toe to heel. Not a bear, no, nothing else. Not, not even a, a chimpanzee or any kind of of ape can they walk backwards, toe to heel. This walked backwards, toe to heel, three steps, and those three steps had it standing in the wood line, right in the edge of the woods, in the brush. And at that point, it turned. And walked away, and I heard I listened to it walk away. Wow, I could have shot it at any time, but in my mind, I was looking at a human being.
1: Yeah, yeah,
0: uh, it didn't look like a monkey, it did not look like an ape, it did not look like a gorilla. It, it looked like it looked like pictures you see of an an, an Australian Aboriginal or something like that.
1: Was the it, skin dark like that? Was it, it was that
0: there... yes, the skin was very mahogany in color, oh, okay, very dark. Uh-huh okay now it, it had shades of, of uh, lighter patches which I would assume was dried mud mm-hmm. uh, on its skin Now that I look back at it being an adult and knowing the things I know and having the uh, uh, experiences that I do mm-hmm. and the education that I do I'm like okay those light patches were just dried mud yeah it's very gray looking but so is the mud down that it would have been wallowing in Okay. So saying its fur was was uh, gray or red or anything is really difficult to do. Because and
1: with a nightlight was, also, with a, with an old-style flashlight, with the yellow bulb, who knows what, what tint that could give to the whole situation. But you you felt you were looking at a sort a, of a dark, grayish furred animal, very sparsely haired animal. Sometimes the way you look at an orangutan, where you see – Actually, the the hair on the chest and the torso and parts of the arms is very, very thin. It's not really covered in thick uh, fur, as we would describe it sometimes. It's it's like a fine hair in places,
0: right? And, you know, at the time, I wasn't as much worried about looking at its fur, its arms, its legs, its things like that. Because to me, this was a a person Mm. that could pose me danger as a teenager and... I was looking at dead in its eyes because when you look someone in the eyes, they tell you what somebody's about to do. Mm-hmm. And if someone is about to attack you or about to do something wrong. You can often read it in their eyes. And I was taught that by my father as a kid. You know, mm-hmm. you, if, if you're having beef with somebody, you look them dead in the eye. Mm-hmm. And this, this, it had brown eyes just like we do. It, it, it had white sclera. Around its eyes, it was a bit jaundiced looking, but the bulb I was shining was yellow. So uh, mm. the eyes may have been, you know, not jaundiced looking, but my bulb made them appear that way.
1: Uh, was the face hairy? Was the face hairy too? No. It seemed there, to have hair on its head, or, I mean, like human hair, yeah. or would it seem more like fine hair?
0: It was, it had a thick head of hair that was matted with that mud and really really matted it was not groomed like you hear some people say oh i saw one it was well-groomed no it was not well-groomed it had leaf matter in the hair it had uh tangles uh really um for lack of a better term it almost looked like one of these uh one of these new age uh rastas or whatever you see today the, yeah. the, the the Caucasian kids that are trying to grow the dreads and their hair's like really jacked up looking
1: here in the uk we call them trustafarians rastafarians are the trust fund it, yeah, yeah
0: yeah yeah exactly those are the exact kind of kind of the yeah. way the hair looked um it, it was not your well-groomed uh dreadlock yeah. like like you see a lot you know it's yeah. really messy but that's the only hairstyle and it wasn't dreadlocks but that's the only hairstyle that i can uh, kind of
1: clumpy, draw an matty, matty hair would you have said um the hair on the head without the clumps without the mats would it have been straight would it be naturally curly or wiry? did the hair look smooth on the body or curly in any way
0: did you notice anything? the body like that? because of the mud Uh, that was clumped in the hair. And what hair was there was fairly long. Uh i would say probably four inches, maybe a little more long, but there wasn't a lot of it. There was uh, more hair around the shoulders and and things like that and less as it went down the torso Uh and then more again as it it hit the uh, groin area, but you know, I didn't I didn't sit there and, and sure. really study, sure. study it. I, I glanced, and, and a lot of this is coming from me sitting and remembering what happened uh-huh. at the time.
1: Uh-huh.
0: And, you know, I went back and I told my friends, and they made fun of me, and they're like, yeah, whatever. You know, sure you did. You saw, sure you did. You know, and the next morning we went back over there, and the um, track, with, there were tracks around the the water well in the mud, and I wear a size fourteen in the U.S. Okay. shoe, so I have a very large foot, and I could take my my foot w- with a tennis shoe on, and step inside the footprint, the wow. bare human looking footprint, and of course they made yeah whatever that you were over here making that print whenever you you know you were over here and. You know, all that kind of stuff. So, um, it, it, but,
1: it, I mean, it's, it's natural for, for people, even for safety's sake, to, to, um, to not believe in something extraordinary happening, even for the sense of their own security, right? To stay in the camp that night. We prefer not to believe you just saw an unknown hominid. Thank you, Jeff. So we can get to sleep right? Yeah. <laughs> it's better to make fun of you uh, because we'd like to I get slept. some shut-eye tonight.
0: I clutched my gun that night, my, my little rifle that I had. It was only a small twenty-two caliber rifle, you know, good for shooting rabbits or mm. something like that, but, you know, it would I, I, there's no way if I would have if I would have shot this thing I probably would have died myself because it would have probably tore me limb from limb. But it, Did I, it look I, I laid heavy there muscle? that night and, it, it, Oh. It, it, Yeah. Built like a built like a linebacker, Uh, American football analogy. Again, um, if anybody knows what a a linebacker looks like in American football, um, that that, that's kind of what it would have reminded you of the Uh way it was built. Very very thick, narrow at the waist.
1: Yes. Sorry for jumping in there. I was, I was just going to add on, on top of that, w- would you have guessed at any kind of age looking at this thing? Could you have looked at the animal or the, the creature and said, this looks like a, a young person, this looks like a middle-aged person or an older person? Uh, in the sense of the, the age of the animal itself, could you gauge its its age or maturity in any way?
0: I would have said that it was a little older because around the eyes, There was a lot of like when you see a a person, a human being that's been out in the sun a lot and they have the sun dried kind of cracks around their eyes and the corners of the mouth and uh, the lines in the forehead, things like that. And I saw those and that lent me to believe that it was older because I had a second sighting about uh, about 20 years later. Uh huh. And I saw the almost an exact duplicate of the creature that I saw the first time at an even closer distance. This time was about five feet away from me. Uh-huh. And it did not have the sun as bad. A uh-huh. sun didn't have the lines across the forehead. It still had these things, but uh-huh. it didn't look nearly as weathered. Now, of course, I saw the other one at a greater distance. It was in the dark. The light. The second sighting was in the daytime at a very much closer distance. So, this is just speculation on my part as far as its age. And the second one was not nearly as uh, robust built. Uh Uh, Quite a bit smaller in um, size as far as weight goes and things. It was not as muscular looking. So, I I would say the first one was probably a a a bit older.
1: Tell us about the second sighting you had. What, what, what were the circumstances surrounding that, and where was that sighting?
0: The second sighting was on the exact same piece of property, but ah. about a quarter mile away. Wow. Uh, my father and I had went down to check our fishing camp out, and we were coming back, and it was a time of year that we have a fruit that grows wild called Mayhawk. And a mayhaw is like a small little apple, like a little crab apple kind of apple. And they grow wild, and we use them to make jellies and jams and things like that out of it. Well, my dad had told me, he said, This is where those mayhaw trees are. Stop here, walk down there, and see if you can find some. If you can, come back and get me, and we'll go down there and uh, pick them. So I got out of the truck, got my camera, and I had a uh, 357 caliber lever action rifle, cowboy looking rifle. I slung it over my shoulder because we have a lot of wild boars here and they Uh will attack. Uh Um, So I got my camera. I have the lens cap still on, but I'm walking down there just to take pictures of any tracks I found or anything interesting. I got uh, probably 150 or so meters away from the truck and I heard a loud crash to my left. And this loud crash was like, oh, man, maybe it's uh, one of these feral hogs or wild boars. So I got my rifle, kind of my hand on it and walked over. when I walked over to where the crash was, there was a limb about big around as a soda can and about three feet long or so, somewhere in that neighborhood, two and a half to three feet long, laying there. Well, there were no trees at this exact spot when I looked up. There were no trees with a limb that big that it could have fallen from. Mm. So as I'm sitting, standing there looking at this limb, a loud thud behind me. And where I'm walking is an old dried up, uh, what we call a slough uh, bed, I, kind of a marsh area, but it's dried up. Oh, yeah. So the top, the top is uh, dry, but underneath it is still kind of uh, wet. So it's kind of, kind of moves when you walk on it. When this this loud thud happened behind me, I felt the earth kind of move a little under my feet. I thought at first a larger limb had fallen, so I turned around. And when I turned around, about five feet behind me, crouched on the ground, was another creature almost the same exact size as the first one that I had seen years before. I grabbed my rifle and went to pull my rifle around, and it was looking up at me. And if, if you've ever jumped from any great height and cushion, you know, you'll cushion yourself with your legs, kind mm-hmm. of hit, and and sometimes you'll get what we call a stinger. you jump from a yeah. great height. You'll get that electrical shock feeling that goes from the yeah, bottom I've of your feet a stinger. Right? <laughs> yeah. And so this thing has, like, got its re- butt, its its rear end sitting on its heels and got both palms flat on the ground, but it's looking up at me almost in pain.
1: Uh.
0: As I'm looking at this creature, my mind goes, grab your camera, not your gun. Mm -hmm. Because I didn't feel threatened. Mm -hmm. And I grabbed my camera and this is all happening in a matter of seconds. And I snatched the lens cap off of it. And when I let go of the lens cap, it falls and it hits the side of the camera. And it makes that sound like when plastic hits metal or Mm -hmm. plastic hits, it's kind of a little tink sound. And it made that sound. And it's like when it made that sound, it decided, I'm getting the hell out of here. So it took off running. And as it took off running, of course, I'm, you know, clicking pictures, clicking pictures, didn't get anything but a a blob squatch. But um, as it ran away, it was running, crouched very low to the ground, reaching forward with its hands, grabbing like vegetation or whatever, and then propelling itself, pulling itself over things and through things and it was about a 60 yard 50 to 60 yard clearing that i was standing in and it went from zero crouched on its butt to gone out of sight in like three seconds i played uh college sports. I played college football. I played with a lot of players that were very, very fast, ran uh, 4.3 second, 40-yard 40 dashes. And this thing could have smoked every one of them. It could, it could have outran the, 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 the swiftest of uh, wow. players that I played. And once it was gone, I was like, wow. And so I looked up in the tree that was there, and there was like a fork in the tree, a natural fork. Mm-hmm. This tree's probably a um, huge oak tree, maybe four feet around at the base, so it's huge. But about 20 feet up, it forked, and it made a natural saddle right there where something could have climbed up there. It could have sat there comfortably. Nice, uh, uh, my, Yes, my theory was the, that fruit grows down that trail, that trail I was walking on had just a lot of deer tracks and, uh, boar tracks and just all kinds of animal tracks going down that trail. And I feel that it was sitting in the tree, had that stick in its hand. And if a, uh, group of hogs or deer or something had walked down that trail, it was going to pile out of the tree and bang it on the head with a stick and drag it off for supper. Um, but me, Being down that trail, I don't think it saw me as, I think it just wanted to get away from me and it distracted Mm me. And I don't think it planned on, when it jumped out of the tree, getting that stinger Uh. and had to recover its faculties for a few seconds before it could run away.
1: See, now this to me, this is what I would call um, a very important mundane detail in the sighting. The stinger, these are things that when people have had weird experiences, they never think of. Um, And the mundane detail, that's that's so important to the qualification of a sighting. And yet, a faker, a hoaxer would never think of making up. That's the kind of thing I like. When you said the stinger, I was like, I like that. That to me, if I received that from somebody I didn't know, Jeff, I'd say, wow, that's a good detail. Keeping this, I like this sighting. The stinger is the qualification point. It's the important mundane detail that people don't imagine. Now, in regards to these animals, you've seen two very similar. They don't exactly match all the other Bigfoot reports in the U.S., but then Bigfoot reports in the U.S. seem to be marginally different from region to region, anyway, don't they? Have you um, have you in your search for Sasquatch, have you been to other parts of the U.S. looking for it, or have you heard of very varying and different? Bigfoot type reports, descriptively different reports within the state of Texas?
0: I try to stay in Texas because we have such a huge uh, geographical area here Mm. in Texas. And so I try to stay in my my backyard, so to speak. Um, Mainly because before I would run off to the Pacific Northwest or somewhere like that to research. I I really think that I need to have a really tight grasp on the research in my own area and with millions of acres of forest at my disposal, you know, it's kind of that thing. Yes. I would love to go and research somewhere else, but there's almost no need for me to because here, you know, we have a lot of different sightings. We, uh, where I'm at, actually, only second to the uh, Pacific Northwest in sheer numbers of sightings. If you look wow. at a map of uh, the United States and of Bigfoot sightings, here in Texas, in the east, eastern Texas, where I'm at, there are more Bigfoot sightings than anywhere else in the United States, other than the Pacific Northwest, which happens to be home to the only rainforest in the United States. Mm-hmm. So that may be a reason why there is uh, more sightings there. But, you know, the, the difference in look, I tell people this, even though we're both human, you and I don't look alike.
1: Yes, exactly.
0: Bodies are not the same our height is probably not exactly the same our facial features don't look the same so why would we expect these animals to do so they're not dogs mm. you know, they're not cats and things like that but even in dogs and cats unless you have a purebred uh species of dog or cat then they're gonna have a lot you could have one uh, a litter of puppies that have Five different puppies that look five different ways. Oh yeah! If they're just well, yeah. You know? So in the Bigfoot world, say you've got a tall Bigfoot, muscular Bigfoot, and it breeds with a shorter, more uh, demure female. Well, then the offspring are probably going to be a variation of those two. If you've got one that has uh, a large nose versus a small nose, just like in humans, mm-hmm. it's going to impart those traits on to its offspring. So we're going to have different animals, different uh creatures that look differently even in the same geographical area. It, they're going to look different because we have dogs that look different, cows that look different. I mean, any animal species on earth if it breeds and it's not pure uh, purebred, mm-hmm. it's going to look different. And apes,
1: apes look different to one another quite drastically in many cases the same species of ape gorillas and chimps and, and orangs will look well orangs less so, but chimpanzees especially will look very different to one another
0: um when i was a teenager i had the privilege of raising or i worked in a facility <laughs> where i raised uh, tigers and lions jaguars leopards um and we even had a few chimpanzees at one time and I learned the difference in the way even the tigers, I could tell them apart. Even if they were in the same enclosure, mm-hmm. I could tell one from another. Even if they were two very similar females that were the same age, relative same body weight, I learned to tell them apart. Mm-hmm. And so it was. it's one of those things that working in that uh, field. I've learned that, you know, there are differences even in, in animals that we think look identical.
1: Yeah, well, you know that even with your own pet dogs, you would recognize them from an exactly uh, similar species, wouldn't you? With your, your chihuahua mix, if there was exactly the same mix at the same height, you would know which one was your dog. You just learned. Yeah, yeah. You know, there's a very exactly. funny bit in The Lord of the Rings um uh, that's not quite on point, but um when... Frodo and uh, the other uh, hobbits meet the elves on the road when they're trying to get to uh, they're trying to get to um, uh, to the, the uh, one of the inns they're trying to go across the, the, the bridge there um, to Bywater and they're running from the Black Riders and the elves say that they find it difficult to tell them apart from men and they say well how can you mix up hobbits and men right and they will say to them, I'm sure to sheep, other sheep look different to one another. And the point being is that you know you have to know what you're looking at to tell things apart and to an outsider, everything yeah. looks the same. So this definition, so slightly global point, sorry, but this definition of Bigfoot looking the same all the way through, not only the US, which is essentially not really a country, it's a mix of countries and regions wrapped into one, isn't it? Um, and Canada and even other places in Europe and the UK it's it falters with the genetic variation that we see in all animals and i think that's a fantastic point why wouldn't there be short bigfoot big bigfoot musly bigfoot skinny bigfoot big nose bigfoot lazy fat bigfoot you know um stupid bigfoot clever bigfoot all the normal variations that happen in every single animal species we don't have the imagination for it because it's enough for us just to conceive of there being a Bigfoot. Then to conceive what? of them all being individuals is even harder to accept. Right? Exactly. Exactly. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah.
1: yeah. <laughs> uh, point of reference, point, <laughs> note for future reference, Andy, if you're going to make a comparison to a passage in the book, at least remember the passage. <laughs> <laughs> that's happening a lot yeah. these days. Um, now look, in regards to the the Bigfoot thing, I know that's like your speciality outside of wildlife, uh, but are there other cryptids or out-of-place animals like big cats in the state that you investigate? Now I understand that we've got a lot of out-of-place panthers and pumas here in the UK that are not acknowledged but clearly, very clearly here. Do you have things like that in Texas as well? Big black cats and oh. the like?
0: Yes, very much so. Uh, actually, I have a trail cam photo of a very large, long-tailed black feline um, on, on my trail camera. And uh, I got that picture, oh gosh, 2009. Um, actually, when I was uh, a teenager, again, uh, I was at home playing hooky from school. Uh, my mother came in my bedroom and she said, uh, one of the cows, we raised cattle on our farm. And she said, one of the cows has had a calf and it's uh, drinking water at the pond. You need to go check on it. And I laughed and I said, mom, if one of the cows had a calf, she, she's not even going to bring that calf out of the uh, brush for a few days. And then it's only going to drink mother's milk. It's not going to drink water. And she said, "Well, you need to get your- hang on." She said, "You need to get your rear end up because there's a black calf drinking water at the pond, and we don't have a black calf." <laughs> so I get up. The only thing that I have that I can look a long distance with is my rifle mm-hmm. that had a telescopic sight on it. So I take my rifle, we call it the scope. I look through the scope and. It's a couple of hundred yards or uh, meters down to the pond in our pasture. And sure enough, there's something big and black drinking water. And I look through my scope and it is a large black cat. My wow. mother's standing there. will hand the gun to my mother and I say, look at it. And my mother looks and she says, you need to kill it because it's probably trying to kill our cattle. And to us, losing one cattle, with one, one uh, uh, cow, would have been uh catastrophic you know we were very poor we couldn't have afforded to to lose that uh animal so i used my rifle and bang i shot it well it jumped in the air and it ran away i went down and and i had hunting dogs and i took my hunting dogs down with me and and my dogs were sniffing around on the ground and you could smell the urine like cat spray but times mm-hmm. 10 mm-hmm. Uh, there was air and blood on the ground i knew that i had uh, gave it a mortal wound My set my dogs into the bushes. My dogs turned around and came back, ran home. They wouldn't even go in after it. So I decided, I said, you know, I'm not going in because I was, I mean, I was a young, young kid then. Yeah. I was like, I'm not going in after it. I'm going to wait till my dad gets home from work. Well, that evening, my father came home from work and my mother and I told him the story. And my dad said, well, we're not going to go down there tonight. And look, we'll go down in the morning. So the next morning, I stayed home from school again, and my father and I went down there. And this time, I had a a, a shotgun loaded with what we call buckshot. I'm not sure in the UK what if y'all have buckshot or not. Um,
1: Yeah, they use it in hunting rifles here for pheasant
0: hunting and things like that. Well, this is buckshot, and the buckshot is uh, a thirty caliber round ball. And there's about 20 or so of them inside of the shotgun cartridge. And we use those to shoot a uh, dangerous game, like if uh, feral hogs or something are charging at you, you can shoot them. Um, so I've got my shotgun loaded with that, and in the bushes I go. And I have to go on hands and knees, and I'm following blood through these bushes, through the briar get on the other side and the blood stops and I'm looking around and there's pine trees there. And under one of the pine trees, there's a lot of what we call pine straw pine needles, the dead ones that are on the ground. And there's a big mound of pine needles. I cautiously go over and I scrape back the pine needles and there's the dead cat. Well, I call for my dad, my dad comes, we look at it. My dad says, well, you got him. good job, but we got to dispose of this because at the time, we don't know anything about these things. My dad's like, these have got to be an endangered species or protected or something. something. Uh-huh. And even though you were protecting our, our herd, you could get in trouble. So let, we dug a hole and we buried it. Okay. Uh, my, dad didn't know. Shh. <laughs> uh, my dad didn't know that I had actually removed the head of the cat and hit it and kept it. About, uh, eight or ten years later, we were camping, my dad and I, and the local uh, fish and wildlife officer, game warden as we call them, came up. And he was a good guy. We were talking to him, and we got in the conversation about Black Panthers. And he laughed, and he said, yeah, man, he said, I get reports all the time. These things don't exist. I've been in the woods my whole life. Same story. Been in the woods my whole life. <laughs> and Never seen one. Therefore, they don't exist. And my dad laughed and my dad said, so if you killed one, would you get in trouble? He said, no, they're not protected. There's no way that you'll get in trouble if you killed one, but you're not going to kill one because they don't exist. My dad looked at me and he said, run, run home and get that head that you kept. Because by <laughs> this time, I, my dad knew that I had kept it. And so I went home and went in our uh, barn and went up on the, the loft and, and I had it with a, nailed to the wall. And I got the head, still had a little dried fur and skin and stuff on it, brought it back and gave it to him. He looked at it with that black fur on it and everything. And he looked at it and he said, what is this? And I said, well, you can send it and have it tested. And he said, yeah, I can have it tested. I'll tell you exactly what it is. So about a month goes by. We did not hear anything from the officer. And my dad's like, I'm going to call him. This is back before cell phones. So you had to call him on the Mm -hmm. telephone house. So uh, my dad called him at home and uh, talked to him and and said, you know, would you ever get those results back? And he says, oh, you wouldn't believe. I left it in the back of my truck and my dogs jumped up in the back of the truck and got it out. And I don't know what happened to it. Uh. Anytime you have something like that and you try to get it tested, it disappears. Yeah. The reason and people ask me that, why would they do that? Well, the reason is because it would kill our local economy if you found an endangered species Mm -hmm. or a new species on a piece of property, doesn't matter whether that property is private or public, then all of a sudden, a large chunk of that property will be what's called eminent domain, Mm -hmm. and it will be turned into a research area and a protected area for that animal. You can't drill for oil. You can't Mm-hmm. raise livestock on it you can't develop that area for housing or businesses or anything so you're talking about possibly millions of dollars worth of economic uh, downfall if you find something like that on your property but do you think this was um,
1: this is uh, a descendant of an escapee surely a bl- melanistic leopard or jaguar or something like that <laughs>
0: I honestly believe that there's, I I have two theories. One is of course an escapee because, you know, back in the 70s, 60s, 70s, things like that, anybody could own anything they wanted. Uh, You you know, you you could have Jaguars, you could have Leopards, you could have Tigers. It didn't make any difference. Um, They didn't start uh, tightening their grip on that until not too many years ago, Mm -hmm. you know, uh, maybe 20 or 30 years ago at the most. So um uh, well been more than 20, but probably 30, maybe 40 years ago. But anyway, um my second theory is when we see white-tailed deer in the wild, they can often look black, very dark. And this comes from the what's called the tannins leaching out of the leaf litter into their fur. Uh-huh. If a deer uh Sleeps and lives in a pine forest, they will look red. If uh-huh. a deer lives in a, uh, a hardwood forest where the leaves turn black whenever they decay, then their fur will almost look black. Okay. So uh, another thing is a lot of th- these are, uh, I think, are relatively uh, just misidentified cougars that uh, their fur has uh, gained the color from the tannins and the leaves Uh and my third theory on it. And I think it's a combination of all of these. And my third theory is I think we have some interbreeding between, uh, feral domestic cats that have, that often throws a very large offspring. I have, I've been to people's homes and seen 20 pound house Mm. cats.
1: Same. You
0: know, I have I have been uh, uh, different places and saw uh, very large domestic cats that it had you seen them in the wild, you would have you would have said, wow, look at this thing. So uh, the one that I killed, it was not a 200 pound Mm -hmm. uh, beast. Or anything. Uh, The one that I killed probably weighed somewhere in the 40 pound range. Mm -hmm. Uh, So I honestly believe the one that I killed was uh, maybe an offspring, a mixture of uh, breeds, maybe some sort of hybrid between uh, scape or let loose um, felines that were, you know, who knows? But I know that it was real. I know that I, I
1: mean, killed it's it. I know... It's very possible. I don't doubt it at all, Jeff. We do have some here that um, that are described, yeah. although they, they resemble panthers in you know, in their morphology, they're perhaps only a foot and a half up from the ground and maybe three and a half feet long, yeah. even with the tail. Um, often seen hunting rabbits. I had a farmer here in Yorkshire contacted me and he was uh, baling hay with his tractor, baling hay in the fields, and he has lots of rabbit holes, lots of rabbit warrens in that field. And he said, "I was in the tractor, and and one that was maybe, maybe two feet tall by four feet long with the tail walked straight past me, hunting rabbits. wasn't in the least bit bothered, Monsieur." And then you have other stories. I had one here in Rusper, in Hampshire, where a horse breeder, um. horse breeder, a lady here had gone to pick up a hay consignment for her horse at a a local farm at night. Nobody's there. You just sort of drive in, you have an account and you pick up your hay and you leave. And they had the full floodlights on. It was November 2017 and they saw a large male panther uh, strolling towards them, Saw it close enough Mm -hmm. to see its genitalia. She said that was around about waist height. She was 5'8 and around about 5 feet with the tail. So, you know, have all different types. And we even have panther-type sightings that seem to have pointed ears.
0: Um, Yeah.
1: And, of course, there's the savannah cat craze now. Everybody wants these designer breeds with these, um, you know, these wild mixes. And they get too wild and people let them go. And then they appear in the British newspapers, you know, somewhere along the line. You can see what it is from the start. But it's clearly three times the size of a normal cat. That's for sure. Exactly. Yeah, so I think all of these things, but here it was because of this Dangerous Wild Animals Act that we had in 1976. The stipulations for how they should be kept were too expensive, and people let them go. I've spoken to people that let them go, and they've they've done quite well. They're the only predators in the entire country, um, so they're doing okay.
0: How many? For how long has there been the legend of? Uh, oh gosh, what, what is? The
1: Beast of Bodmin Moor. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly. That's there's bad been, I mean, that's there's bad been books, movies oh. made, uh, yeah. television shows. you know, that has just went on for, for forever.
1: I mean, that's a namesake, you know, just like Nessie, but that's it's the least of them, really, and one of the least seen. it's so prolific now, uh, and last year was because it was incredibly hot in the summer. There was a lot of sightings. Where it was assumed that because of the um, because of the heat and because of the the lack of of tree cover, they were being sighted more. They were coming out further and further to find food. And there was a a rash sightings all over the country of really large cats. They're getting more bold too. But generally speaking, problems with people are very minimal because we have so many prey species here that are easy to catch. They don't really need to look at people. Um, who knows what that will be in the future but for the time being it's you know it's okay people are seeing them occasionally they're intimidating they're walking people out of the woods from time to time some people have been chased with dogs my first encounter with them actually was in a place called Crimach, near the Priscilla mountains in Wales I was staying at an ex-girlfriend's house and there was a a lady staying there from London. There was a friend of her mother's. It was over the Christmas period, 1999. And she went out onto, they, it's not as, as uh, rural as you, perhaps the next house is five or six miles away. And the mountains are just there. So they went out, she went out at five in the morning to smoke a cigarette on the the porch. She lit her cigarette and 10 feet away was this large black Panther. just watching her. (laughs) And, she froze and kind of looked at it, and it watched her for ten or fifteen seconds, and just turned and walked away and uh <clears throat> yeah, we spent the entirety of the next day looking for it, Of course, it was me, so I was gonna try and find this thing stupidly, creeping into dens and all this kind of business. But yeah, they're out there now, just before we wrap up, and i know we've we've gotta go soon at some point. I know you've had a lot of you you've done a lot of filming, a lot of documentaries you were with um some really great presenters and producers here. Do you have anything in the pipeline that people can look for? Where can people find your work and how can they get involved in
0: it? Well, I was lucky enough. I just uh, directed my first movie um, with uh, David Ford. We, uh, he wrote a movie. Um, I don't know if anybody's seen the first one that we did was called something in the woods. Uh-huh. And I just, I was a consultant on that movie. Then, then he offered me the opportunity to help him direct his uh, second Bigfoot movie, which is called man versus legend. Um, and so I did that. And people may not know that I uh, also dabble in special effects uh-huh. have ever since I was a kid. That's one reason why you don't ever see me, Showing any photographs of Bigfoot or or anything like that because I feel that with my background in special effects I I wouldn't ask someone just oh look I got this picture of a Bigfoot believe me just because I say so So I I wouldn't ask people to do that But but I did the special effects. I built the costume uh, one of the costumes for the movie Um, It it was an honor doing that uh, with David Ford and all of the great, great people uh, that we made that movie. And it is in the editing process right now. We are hoping within the next couple of months it is going to be on the market. It's called Man versus Legend. It's going to be a totally different Bigfoot movie than you've ever seen. Mm-hmm. It's not your, uh, Bigfoot is a crazed beast that's just killing people indiscriminately. That's not this. It has a really good storyline to it. It has, um, mm-hmm. of course, now it's a B movie. Uh, we, we didn't have a budget making this movie. I mean, seriously, our budget was just like $2,000 um, and donations from great people all over the United States that donated to help us make this movie. So it, when people get to see it, please don't uh, judge it too harshly on certain aspects because, you know, it's a labor of love. We did the best we could with the money and the equipment and everything we were able to have. And I think we made a really quality movie as far as the content goes. And I think we really did great with the special effects and with acting and things with, with what we had. So that's, that's the big thing is a, a man versus legend that I directed with David Ford. Um, I just got through uh, doing uh, expedition, Texas. It's available on YouTube it can be found. Uh, and other than that everything is shut down right now because of this Mm. uh covid stuff i I had two or three shows lined up and everything has canceled Mm. so um hopefully once this is over they'll reschedule and and we'll get back on track
1: i'm sure we will and jeff thanks for stopping by and talking to me it's always good to learn from you and uh, i always find out so much and i can't wait to get over there at some point later in the year i should be in the u.s if If this um, pandemic, pandemonium, allows us out of the house again, I will be coming by and and hopefully stop by and see you as well.
0: Just just let me know when, man. I, I can't wait.
1: Thank you, my friend. Goodbye. Goodbye.